Right, brilliant. I'm going to carry on the series that we've been doing for the last few weeks, and it's been going to happen for the rest of the summer. And um, it's entitled Stories That Jesus Told. It's a series we're doing, seeking to learn from the life of Jesus. One of the main ways that Jesus taught was through parables. And Nigel, a few weeks ago, kind of went into great depth about what a parable is and what a parable looks like. And so I'm not going to go and repeat that. I will give a little bit of kind of background from my experience, having lived in the, in the Middle East for a number of years, that maybe helps you get a better background and context to this idea of what Jesus was doing. When Jesus was kind of telling a parable, he was telling a story. And storytelling is incredibly important, actually, in a lot of the world, a lot of the non-Western world. Telling stories is the main way that they kind of communicate. It's the main way that traditions, the values, the culture of that nature, of that country, is passed down from one generation to another generation. You know, totally unaltered. Also, storytelling, you might hard imagine, but that was kind of the main way and source of entertainment years ago. You know, years ago, they did not have the BBC and ITV and Netflix and all these other things. All they had was the storytellers. You know, these are the people that people, these were like the kind of the, the people that everybody wanted to know and listen to. You know, there was a whole kind of ethos and culture around it. A good storyteller had a great reputation. Even now, still in certain parts of the Middle East, they have competitions to see who is the best storyteller. And they will have hundreds and thousands of people that come to listen. And like most of these stories, a bit like the parables, a bit like a good book or a good film, sometimes there's kind of multi-layers to it. What I mean by that is you're, kind of, you're, you're not always totally sure to the end. Maybe it's like an Agatha Christie or something, where it's only when you get to the end you discover who it was who, who did it. I remember my children were talking about a book recently they read, and they were really excited. I said, oh, it's really clever, because it refers to the person in the pronoun of a he, and then at the end you discover it was a she. A bit like that, you know, you're not sure what's going to happen. And so these parables have kind of like the, the face value, the obvious things that anybody could grasp. But also there were deeper levels that people had to go away and, and think about, mull over, chew over. It was a kind of thing, a bit like on TV, you know, when there's a series along. And um, I don't really watch much TV, so I'm, gonna, I'm not the best example. I have to use other people. But people go, are you, are you watching this program? You know, what do you think is going to happen, you know, when this uh, series is happening? And so it would be the same with these kind of stories, these parables. People would kind of go, did you hear that one? What, what, what do you think it was about? What do you think it means? I think it means this. I think it means that. And so it was a real kind of, this was kind of the, the culture and the way that stories were told. And I'm going to just share a, a couple of um, parables, a couple of stories that Jesus told. The first one is the parable, what's called the parable of the persistent widow or the unfair judge. Okay, it's working. Yeah, brilliant. So this is in uh, Luke chapter 18. Luke's one of the gospels where we find stories about Jesus and what Jesus t- shared. Oh, I think I didn't. I kind of come to this stage in life, I've got to put my glasses on and take my glasses off. It's, uh, I find it really annoying. I keep losing my glasses now. 
Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, we'll see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And then there's another parable. I've got this one up for you if you haven't got it. And this is uh, Luke 11. Verses 5 to 8. And Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, let me free loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are, are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up, and give you the bread because of friendship. Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And those two kind of parables, those two stories that Jesus taught, in some ways touching the same issue, this idea of persistent prayer. Now, as I kind of share this topic, I really wanted to speak on this because I'm, at the moment I'm just writing some stuff on prayer. Um, one of the things I do a lot of is, is share Jesus with, with Muslims, and God's doing some amazing stuff amongst Muslims and seeing hundreds and thousands of Muslims come to Jesus. And one of the main reasons we believe that's happening is because of prayer. And so as part of my role, I wanted to do some work and thinking and write some material uh, on prayer and, and persistent prayer. And so I thought this is an obvious opportunity to look at it. But it didn't take me long as I came here with my, my role as one of the pastors here. I thought, whoa, this is a, a difficult subject. It's a bit like when you watch a film, you know, when you have a film and you're thinking, shall you watch it? Particularly if you've got children, you're kind of looking at, uh, you know, what's the age and, and what, what's the advice that you have on it? And in some ways, this, um, this talk has like a, a warning, a bit of advice on it. Because by the very nature of talking about persistent prayer, I'm very aware that I'm touching on an area which for many people is a hard and a tough and a sore area. Because if, if every prayer we prayed got automatically answered, there would be no need to have a talk or a series on persistent prayer. But because there are things that we are praying for and crying out to God and they do not seem to be answered. It might be something that you just started crying out to God today. It might be something that you've been crying out to God for years and years and years. And you haven't seen anything happen. And that's painful. Yeah. Am I kind of connecting here? I know some of of you better than I know others of you. And so I know a number of people here are in very difficult situations and hard places. 
And some of you I don't know, but I know for every person, there's things that we're desiring to see and we haven't seen happen. And so I want to acknowledge that. But at the same time, I want to speak into that this morning. And that's what Jesus wanted to do. His audience, in some ways, totally different time, totally different culture. But they also had their issues. And they also had their pain. They also had their disappointment. They also maybe had their, their anger in certain situations. And so God was speaking those truths. And like every good parable and every good story, these principles of God, they're they carry forth from generation to generation. They have never lost their impact. They have never lost their power. And like I said, with a parable, particularly when you talk about the parable of the persistent widow or the unjust judge, it's one of these kind of classic stories. When people read it, it always kind of confuses people. It's like, why did Jesus use the example of an unjust judge? I mean, this unjust judge, he was... Somebody that even the Jewish people at that time would see as not being a, a good person. Again and again, if you read through the Old Testament, it talks about the value and the importance that God puts on widows. And so for this judge not to take notice of this widow, knowing all these verses that there are again and again about God looking after widows, God judging those who did not treat widows well. He was kind of like going against the very culture and the values of his religion and background of that time. I mean, for somebody in that culture to say that they didn't fear God, it's like, I mean, it's hard for us to grasp because we meet people nowadays who say they don't fear God. But in that culture, it was just everybody acknowledged God. It's like, to say you didn't fear or acknowledge God? Then it says he doesn't fear man. And again, this might be, you might find it hard to understand, but an important aspect of understanding these parables is to understand Middle East culture. And in Middle East culture, one of the most important things in life is what's called honor and shame. Often when people go and work amongst Muslims or Middle East people, they like to talk about sin. Sin doesn't bother Muslims that much. Honor and shame does, which might sound strange, but if you read the Bible, again and again through the Bible, it talks about honor and shame. What did Adam and Eve feel when they had sinned and they'd done wrong? Shame. And I could go through the whole, I'm not going to do a teaching on how to share Jesus with people from another culture, but shame is a big issue. You sometimes hear about it more in the negative context, because occasionally you hear in the news where um, there's a, what's called an honor killing. And I don't justify that in any way, but I can see where you have certain rules and certain foundations that would be the natural outworking and fruit of it. Because honor and shame is so crucial. You will do nothing that will disgrace and dishonor your family or your tribe or your nation. So when this person comes along, this judge, and it says that he does not fear man, he has no sense of shame or honor. That, you know, if the audience in Jesus' time is like, it's just like this is like the most worst evil person they, you know they could imagine. Just messes their mind. Yet, this person, because of the persistency of the widow, responded. And like every good parable, it's going to like playing. It's like this classic kind of a villain, and it's like your father who's totally different. He's the opposite end. How much more is he willing to do good things? 
says in Matthew 7, 11, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your, fa- your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? He's a good dad. He's totally unlike this unfair judge. That's the kind of total opposite of what he's like. You see this idea of honor and shame again in the story. The second one we read, the visitor at midnight asking for bread. Again, just to give you a context, bread is like, it's life. Actually, one of the Arabic words um, in certain parts of the Arabic world, the word for life and the word for bread are the same. Uh, and so bread is just crucial. And kind of going to this person at night, um, it'd probably be very late at night because Middle East people tend to go to very late, bed at late at night. And they're all kind of be in the same room. And so there's a kind of like, for the person to get up, there is a hassle. There is a frustration. There is a great inconvenience to him. Because by getting up, it'll probably wake up the rest of the household. I don't know if you know your household, but in our household, because I'm a light sleeper, when one of my kids starts to move around and make noise, and they're in another room, I often get woken up. So this was going to be great inconvenience. But this person responded because he knew that was the honorable thing to do. The host is crucial. I showed you a picture at the beginning. I forgot to mention it. It was just kind of like the, the Bedouin out there in the desert just telling each other stories because of what they do. And the kind of the Bedouin code of honor in the Middle East and probably North Africa as well. If you have a guest, if you have somebody, you host them and feed them for at least three nights before you even ask them why they came. It can be your arch enemy. You can be fighting and be your enemy, but if you turn up as a host, as a guest, they have to feed you for three days, even if they like to kill you. Make sure you leave after before three days. <laughs> That's my piece of advice. And so this whole idea of, is like because of the honor, we will respond. How much more is God a God of honor? So that kind of gives you a bit of a, the, the context to those stories. But the roots and the foundation of both of them is this idea of prayer and being persistent in it. I particularly like the version I gave you. I can't remember what it was. It wasn't the NIV. It might be the Living Living Translation or the parable or the visitor at midnight where it talks about his audacity, a willingness to take a bold risk. This idea that he's going to just step out. He's going to take a risk and say, I want it. It's that in our nature. Before I talk about being persistent, this question is, what are we asking God for? Are we asking God bold prayers? Are we asking prayers that honor God? We've been talking a lot about honor this morning. God loves to honor bold prayers. It's a story in the Bible. It's called the story of blind Bartimaeus. And in some ways, it's a bit of a a strange story because there's a blind person in front of you. and, And that would kind of, be his life, that would be his, would affect everything he is. It was, I mean, that was kind of what he got his title from. He wasn't just known as Bartimaeus, he was blind Bartimaeus. And so Jesus comes up to him and says, you know, what do you want? I mean, I used to think that's a little bit strange. I mean, surely it's obvious what Bartimaeus wants. He wants to see. But God wanted him to respond. 
Bartimaeus needed to say, I want to see. And my first challenge this morning to myself and teach one of us is what, what do we want? What do we want? It's like God knows, but it's like, what do we want? And then the second question relating to that idea about just kind of stepping out. Is these questions here, I do a lot of kind of coaching, so I like to ask questions, those who know me. And so I'm just going to give you a few questions, and I want you just to maybe just take a minute or two. You can do it individually. If you want to, you can turn to the person next to you if you know them, and just maybe answer these questions. So have a little more think. You can do it by yourself or... You can do it with somebody with you. I'm going to draw you back. I think you could go away. Maybe if you're in a life group, you could discuss. Or maybe you can just take this before God. I've, I've, been, I've been challenged about this. You know, how specific are my prayers? You know, I'm sometimes very general. In my, in my praying, it's like, what do I want? What do I actually really want? Do I really see God as my good, good father? You know, when you have children, they ask for Christmas. They tend to be quite specific, don't, aren't they? And they don't say, I just want a football. I want this type of football. You know, how, how specific I am. And I think that kind of links in particularly the third one. You know, sometimes... I think we're so unsure what we really prayed, we wouldn't be aware if God answered some of our prayers sometimes. I think we're sometimes so vague in what we ask for. How risky are our prayers? How much are things dependent on God? It's like, God, you've got to answer this, because if not, this is going to happen. That is going to happen. When does prayer cost us something? As somebody who's one of my roles in church is to kind of encourage prayer. When I think about encouraging prayer in this church, it's not just encouraging more prayer meetings, not just kind of encouraging people to pray more, which is good. But I also want the prayers that we pray in whatever format that be, to be what I would call better prayers. Prayers that honor God. And as I've been going through my prayers, there's certain prayers I pray often, and I've just been taking each one of them and thinking, why am I actually really asking for what do i really want to see happen how bold and outrageous are some of my prayers because we need to be that the bible says no faith is being sure what we hope for then being unsure what we're hopeful kind of the opposite the aspect of faith are we sure what we hope for are we sure what we're asking for Let's grow and becoming more bold. Let's grow and becoming more specific and asking things that are worthy of God. So that's my first challenge. The second challenge is let's begin to pray with a greater confidence in God's nature. Because in both those parables, it's kind of going back to the nature of the unjust judge. And this neighbor, and it's saying, even with their background, and just judge particularly just having a, a really kind of what would seem to be a really negative, bad background, even with that kind of background, you should be persistent. How much more when it comes to the nature of God? 
the whole thing is Jesus told this parable to state the obvious. We should be persistent. He told this parable to help us become persistent because of who God is. As we gain a deeper understanding, as I gain a deeper understanding of who God is, that should result in me being more persistent in prayer. And it could be a whole load of different attributes and dynamics of God, but just three that I've kind of been chewing over. So I'm just kind of sharing from my experience as I seek to grow in this. I keep coming back to what for me is like my bedrock. Sometimes before I start to pray, particularly some things I've been praying for recently that have been quite difficult, I've got to come back to these. This has got to be my foundation from which I pray from. Because if not, I can start praying from a place of hopelessness. I can start praying from a place of fear. I can start praying from a place of anxiety. Whatever it is, I have to get myself back down to these. It's interesting that Michael um, and the band in the, in the songs relate, you know, touched on a number of, of these different characteristics. Firstly, you know, as I come to pray, thinking about who am I approaching? And again, you could go away and think about this. I like to, you know, have stuff so at least you've got something to discuss over your meal. Uh, who do you think you're praying to when you pray? I know the right answer is God. But how do you approach it? Do you sometimes think of God as an unjust judge? Often people project onto God the image they had of their parents, particularly their father. How do you approach God? How do you perceive God? Do you come to him as a son, as a child, who's loved, who's beloved? Or do you feel like you're having to come like as a, as a beggar? You're trying to twist his arm. Kind of, who are you approaching? How do you perceive God? Do you really believe that he is all-powerful? Again, I know, the, uh, the, I know the right answer is what we should say. But also, I'm in, I'm in enough prayer meetings to hear prayers. I sometimes hear my own prayers. And I think, do I really believe that God is all-powerful? I've been meditating, and, which means just thinking and mulling over a verse in, in Psalm 147, verse 5. And it just talks about uh, God's power being absolute, which means utter, total, not restrained in any way. Are you in any situation where you're praying and you feel like you're powerless? It's like, I can't do anything. I've come to the limit of my ability, my power. This is when, again, we just got to delve into. God is all-powerful. There's no limitation to him. I read this verse two days ago, and I've just been mulling over. I think next time I lead a prayer meeting, I'm going to spend like five minutes thinking about this. This is in Romans. Romans 4, verse 17, it's about Abraham. It says, Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. And I thought, wow. Believed in the God, this is his power, who brings dead things back to life. Are there any dead things in your life? Are there any relationships or finances or whatever it may be? Are they dead? This is a God who raises us. Followers of Jesus, we follow somebody who's risen. And I'm speaking this to myself as much as anybody else. And the only thing it says, he creates new things out of nothing. As I begin to grasp this, we begin to grasp this. This will affect the way that we pray. 
it would encourage us to keep on praying. That nothing is impossible for God. And again, in some ways, all this is nothing new, but in some ways, this is radical if we allow it to affect the way that we approach and we speak to God. That he loves us. That he delights in us. Do you really believe that God likes us? Do you really believe that God loves us? Because it does. It will affect how we approach God. It will affect what we ask of God. He is for us. Maybe if I really grasped that, I would maybe pray less small, timid prayers, and I'd pray more big, massive, audacious prayers. Confident in who my Father is. Confident in what my Father has. And maybe that's me. Maybe you don't have an issue with this. But I know for me, I need to grow in this area. God is good. He's a good God. Okay, going the wrong way. It says in Psalm 27, verse 13, I would have lost heart unless, that's where it all switches, I believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do I really trust? You know, we sing songs, you know, he's a good, good father and, my mind's gone blank, but I know we can see some of the songs that I have. You know, he's good. Do I really believe that? Maybe it's just me. Sometimes I underestimate his goodness. I underestimate how good he is, how generous he is. That he's good. He wants good things for me. There's a verse that we often learn as children, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. You know, I know the plans I have for you to give you a hope and a future. Do we really believe that? Some of you are in situations where you look ahead and you think, I don't know if God wants to prosper me, and I don't see much of a hope and a future. And maybe this is a, a morning, a day, where we've just got to realign our thinking again with what's truth, to get down to the bedrock. I'm taking a parable a little bit out of context maybe, but there's a parable, that, I know the parable Jesus told about people that bought, built, a builder that built on solid ground and a builder that built on sand. And it's like, if we want prayers that will just stand time and just keep going and going, we've got to get back to some of the bedrock of who God is and what God's nature and character are like as we approach it. So what does that look like? This is what it looks like for me. You know, I often share and say, this is what it looks like for me. I kind of share a principle and say, this is what I do. And if it doesn't work for you, find something that will help you do this. But at some point in our life, we've got to just ask God, show me more of who you are. Often when I start prayer, it's like, how do I lift my eyes? How do I remind myself of who God is? And so these are some of the passages. Like I said, I've been looking at this Romans 4 for the last two or three days. I suspect I'll be looking for it quite a bit longer. You know, there's certain areas in my life and certain relationships where I feel that they need new life. It's like, God, you can do, you can bring order out of chaos. Has anybody here got a chaotic situations? And I love the story of um, creation, where it says everything was just chaotic, everything was a mess. And then God spoke. And everything was different. When you look at a little bit of creation, you can see through the window here, if you've got the view. He spoke. 
And so as soon as I, for me, I just get verses and I just take time and I just read over those verses and I say, God, let me really believe this. Not just in my head, but in my heart. Let me begin to pray. I know when things begin to get into my heart because I begin to think and pray with that perspective on a regular basis. And so I just keep going into those verses. The other way I, I do it is just worship. We did this morning. I was thinking there's at least two or three songs we did this morning, which I just think, you know, if I just keep speaking those, declaring them, speaking them to my soul, God is great. God is powerful. God is loving. God is for me. Hear that, my soul. Hear that. And maybe some of us need to do that. Like uh, in a minute, I'm going to say one more thing, and I'll give you a little bit of time. You can do that. You can speak to yourself. The other thing I do is I say, God, just reveal to me if I'm believing any lie about you. Is there any lie I'm believing about you? Do I believe that you are limited in any way? Do I think that you're not good? Do I think you don't like me? And I just say, so I just say to God, show me, open my eyes. And then when he does, I sometimes say, God, what's the truth? Remind me what the truth is. Sometimes he maybe give me a scripture, maybe sometimes he'll give me a picture. What is the truth? I need truth. The Bible says it's truth that sets us free. And that's what we need. If we're going to be people that pray from persistently the prayers that God wants us to pray, we need to get that into our hearts. So again, I, we're going to do a little bit different this summer. So I'm just again going to give you a, a minute and uh, just take some space. I know it's not long, but it's a, at least it's a start. And maybe just say to God, what's, what is a lie? Is there a lie I'm believing about you? What is it? What's the truth? Or maybe the other thing is like some of these truths, you just need to remind yourself. Think about an area where you just feel like you've been praying for a while and nothing seems to be happening. And just speak that, that truth into your soul. So again, just going to take a minute just to do that. We've got a little bit of time. Just allow some of this to get into who we are. God, I just pray that those truths that you have revealed, that you've spoken into us, I pray that they will go deep. A bit like another parable, Lord, that we did a few weeks ago, the sower. That these truths, Lord, will bear 30, 60, 90 fold increase in our lives, in our prayers. Amen. So we've got this nature of God. We're kind of making that our bedrock of why and how we pray. But there's no getting away from it. There is that aspect of being persistent the phrase used to describe the widow's persistence you know the the judge says she's wearing me out it's actually um, boxing terminology uh, i haven't seen boxing for a number of years a lot of my friends used to be boxers at school and um but there's just this idea where they're just gonna just keep going for it keep just kind of reaching out you're just exhausted you feel like you're going through the rounds whatever sometimes prayer feels like that you know i can't remember how much the boxing matches what 11 rounds or something like that um you know it's a long time you just keep pounding away you keep pounding away and you, you're kind of weary and you think sometimes you feel like you just caught your breath the bell's gone and you think 
oh, I made it through that round. And again, I don't know if I'm speaking to anybody. Maybe I'm just speaking to myself. Uh, if, 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 if I am speaking to myself, I would challenge you to begin to pray prayers that you feel like you have to go through the boxing ring. If maybe you don't feel like you're going through the boxing ring, maybe that, that indicates the earlier question I asked is you're not asking prayers that are large enough. Because if there's prayers that are big and massive, you will have to go through the rounds to see these things happen. The same with this well-known verse, again, one that people often learn as children, you know, ask, ask God and keep asking and seek. And the, and the word there is, I'm not a great linguist, as my wife would tell you, uh, it's what's called a, a present continuous, which means ask and keep on asking and keep on asking and keep on asking. Keep going through the rounds, seek and keep on seeking and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking and keep on knocking and keep on knocking. And that's hard just to keep doing that. You know, as soon as I wonder what would happen, you know, as soon as when you read stories, I love reading stories of things where God's just done some amazing stuff. You hear them, you know, they prayed for all this time and then something happened. And I sometimes wonder when was the kind of the flip point? What would happen if they prayed one less prayer? I don't know. I'm not I'm trying to put a guilt trip on me or somebody else, but this idea of just Keep knocking. There's a story in the Bible about um, Elijah. And uh, Elijah was told that after a certain period of time, it was going to rain. And so the time was ready. The time had come for rain to come. And um, Elijah went up onto a mountain, Mount Carmel it was called, and he prayed. And he had a servant with him. And he said, you know, do you see anything? The person said, no. And it happened like six times. And on the seventh time, the servant says, I see the, a cloud about the size of a hand's fist, I think is what it says in the Bible. And Elijah says, let's get going. It's going to rain. It hadn't rained for three and a half years. And again, I was wondering, what happens if he stopped at five? I thought, well, maybe I heard God wrong. Maybe it's, I'm not very good at addition. Maybe it wasn't like three years from when God told me he was going to do it. We need to just keep Praying. And a story I heard recently that just reminded me of this, the power of prayer, is, um, is bamboo. You might know this about bamboo. Bamboo is really amazing stuff. Um, and, uh, and it's a, an amazing tree that comes from a little seed. And you need to plant it in some rich soil. And then you've got to like water it, feed it daily for four years, actually five years. Because you will not see anything to the fifth year. Not one thing. I know some of you here are um, gardeners. I was just speaking to Brian earlier. And I don't think there's any other plant I can think of where you just do for five years and you don't see anything. You normally, you normally sow and then a few months later you see like something that shows you evidence. It's like, oh yeah, there is something. This is worthwhile. So bamboo, there's nothing there. But you've got to keep doing it. And then in the fifth year, it starts to grow. And actually, I can't remember what some of the figures are. It like grows feet, meters within, you know, within days. It just shoots up. Oh, yeah, I've got something. It shoots up 80 feet in a period of five weeks. So it's like, sometimes prayer feels like that. It feels like a bamboo tree, doesn't it? You're just going to pray in a way and you can't see anything. And you've got to just keep doing it and doing it. And suddenly God says, right. This is time I'm going to move. And we need to just step into it. Just to kind of come in to finish. 
I just want to give some encouragement for the journey. Because I said like at the beginning, I'm very aware. I know certain things in my mind. When I think about persistent prayer and I think about areas I'm praying into that cause me pain, that cause me disappointment, I need encouragement. And I know there's different ones of you for that. And these are just two things that have encouraged me. Hopefully some of the stuff I said already has encouraged you, but just to make sure there's something there. Hope for the journey, one day and even now. What do I mean by that? I'll give you a little bit from Acts chapter 20, verses 2 to 3. It's a story about somebody called Cornelius. And I kind of deliberately gave two verses there. Cornelius was a godly man who prayed regularly. I just love that phrase. You know, when you pray regularly, irregular things begin to happen. God begins to move and cause things to happen. And it says he was praying. He prayed regularly. We don't get much detail about what he was praying regularly. But then we get this verse, one day. One day. And, and he, I, let's not underestimate that one day. If you happen to be here and you're not Jewish, this one day changed everything for us if you're a follower of Jesus. This was a big one day. It's like you can nearly bypass it. It was just one day. But one day is pregnant with hope. Because one day could be today. And one day, God can deliver from an addiction that's held a person captive for years. In one day, God can bring back a prodigal. In one day, God can restore a marriage. In one day, God can turn a nation. He's done it. All God needs is one day. He prayed persistently on one day. And so I just share, share that as an encouragement. One day, keep going. Keep going. Secondly, there are, there are even now moments. And again, yeah, I didn't have time to write it out. The context of this is there's a, a couple and sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus had died. He was well and truly dead. He'd been well and truly buried. And um, remember, yeah, Martha says, you know, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Did you catch the, I think it's called a conjunction. Am I right, linguistically? Uh, you know, this is one of the most amazing scriptures in the Bible, I think. Because it could have just ended, you know, my brother would not have died, full stop. Americans would say period. Like, that's it. There's a word in Arabic that says the same thing. But she does not stop at that full stop. She says, even though she's still having it, even it's like the smallest seed of hope. Even when something seems like it's dead and buried. And some of you in the situations you are in, sometimes things feel like they're dead and buried. You tried and tried again. I'm thinking about a particular relationship where I just feel like I keep trying and work and break through and nothing seems to happen. There's even now moments where Jesus can come along and he can speak. You know, I love it. I often use this when I'm teaching and doing stuff in prayer. He calls forth the Lazarus and then unbinds Lazarus. There's people, there's situations we're in that seem dead. And he calls them forth. So to conclude, 
want to take some verses from Colossians and the Psalms. Don't get weary in prayer. Keep at it. Watch for God's answers and remember to be thankful when they come. Don't get weary. There's another verse in Galatians that says, Do not get weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap an eternal harvest. Don't get weary. And that's hard. And hopefully some of the things I've said will kind of give you energy. Maybe like a marathon run. Sometimes it feels like prayer is like a marathon run. And you need to have these little water stations that will just kind of keep you, keep you going. These things about God's nature, God's character. Maybe verses that God's given you for that relationship, that situation, whatever it may be. Go back to those. Watch for it. The word for watch is kind of like, um, it's not just a sitting back. It's kind of like a pressing in, which is why I gave the other verse. Wait expectantly. I don't know about you. I started realizing some of my prayers, I was praying, but I wasn't really waiting expectantly. I was kind of waiting. Sometimes with frustration, sometimes with disappointment, sometimes with maybe a little bit anger, but I wasn't waiting expectantly. I was like, God, help me wait expectantly. Let me trust your nature and your character and help me. So it's easy to give up on dreams. It's easy to give up on miracles. It's easy to give up on promises. We lose heart. We lose patience. We lose faith. faith. Sometimes it happens quickly or sometimes I realize in my life it's a bit like a, a, um, a bike. Sometimes my, t- my, my tire on my bike, it just goes down slowly. I think, oh, it's maybe lacking a little bit of error, and then it just goes down. And sometimes it's a bit like that. We don't realize that. Maybe this morning, as I've been talking, you think, I didn't realize, but over a period of time, I've kind of given up on a promise. I've lost heart. I've lost patience. I've lost some hope. And so my question to, to finish and maybe get the worship band, if you want to come up, Michael, and the band, and Lord, get you thinking as well, is what does God want to resurrect today? What promise do you need to reclaim? Is there some miracle you need to start believing again? I'm just going to read those again. As those who know me, I don't, no, I don't do things by small. I go for big. What does God want to resurrect today? What promise do you need to reclaim? Is there some miracle you need to start believing again? And then as Michael leads us, thank <laughs> God. Um, I just want to just do, first maybe just pause, and I'll hand over. And ask God that question. What does he want to resurrect? What promise have you kind of pushed to the back and you kind of given up on it? What miracle, it could be anything. What miracle do you need to see to see that prayer that you've been praying for come about? And let's get our focus, let's get our attention Again, back on God. And so as Michael leads us in a song, I just want us to, to lift our eyes up again. This is what it's about. This is what this talk is all about. Lifting our eyes again on God. And giving these things back to God. And maybe as been sharing, you know, some of you, you know, you might want to come to the front. You, you, you might be weary. And this is part of what it's about. It's like, I just need encouragement. 
You know, I talked about that marathon, and you maybe you've been praying for stuff for ages, and you just want somewhere where you can give you like one of these filling stations, just to get some prayer. There's a scripture, in, um, a story in the Bible where Moses is praying, and his arms are lifted up, and he's got two people next to him, and his arms are growing weary, and people get alongside him, and this is an opportunity just people get alongside you and say, "Hey, we want to just pray with you as you pray to see that breakthrough." He wants to give hope. He wants to give faith. He wants to resurrect. So Michael and you, um, leaders, we can.